0: Listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. Hey, everybody! Welcome back to another episode of ACB Advocacy Update. This is Claire Stanley, the Advocacy and Outreach Specialist here at ACB. Um, surprise this week we're going solo it's just me Clark is out of town so I hope everybody is excited to listen to my lovely voice my congested <laughs> voice this week with the the cold that all of us caught at the leadership conference this past week so. Um, But we are excited to have um, a couple guests on today. We'll have one guest and then another guest afterwards. Um, But we are talking today about guide dogs, um, a topic we're all very passionate about here um, at the American Council of the Blind. In our national office alone, we have three working guide dogs. So it's an important topic for us. Um, And to start off the episode today, we are going to talk to um, our very own president. Is that your official title? It is president, the president of GDUI. So without further ado, Penny, do you want to go and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about GDUI?
1: Sure. Hi, my name is Penny Reeder and I'm president of GDUI. I'm finishing my last year of my third term and actually we're going to have an election in about three months. So if you're interested in guide dogs, and if you're a member of GDY, you could even think it about running. Um, guide Dog Users Incorporated has been an affiliate of ACB since 1972. I am not sure if we were the first special interest affiliate but we were among the first. Um, and of what we are here for, most of our members are Guide Dog Users. And we offer peer support for our guides, other guide dog users because it isn't always smooth when you get your first guide dog. Sometimes you got to talk to your family and convince them that your dog isn't a pet. Um, and then, you know, so sometimes things happen where you would really like to talk to another guide dog user. And that's one of the reasons we're here. We also provide public education to members of the general public trying to explain to them what our dogs do for us and uh, how they should interact with us and with our dogs. And we also provide advocacy. And we are advocating right now uh, with respect to this NPRM, the Notice of Proposed Rulemaking from the Department of Transportation. Um, It uh, used to be easy for us to fly with our dogs, or relatively speaking but since um, the Department of Transportation decided to allow emotional support animals on board planes, our life has gotten considerably more complicated. So we are excited about uh, some of the proposed rules, especially um, the fact that emotional support animals will no longer be granted the same civil rights protections as our guide dogs are. Um, So that's a little bit about us. We have around 600 members. We have members in every part of the country. Uh, We even have a few members in Canada and at least one or two in England and one or two in Germany. Um, Mm. We have a great publication. It's called Pause for GDUI News You Can Use. And it comes out every month and it's free. So that's a little bit about us.
0: That's awesome. Can we ask you, you you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but you're a a guide dog user yourself. Can we find out what your dog's name and breed is?
1: Of course, my dog's name is Willow, and Willow will turn 11 uh, just in a a couple weeks. She's a German Shepherd, and she's from the Seeing Eye, and she's my third guide dog. She's a very sweet girl.
0: How long have you been working guide dogs?
1: Uh, Willow is my third guide dog. I think I got my first guide dog in uh, around 2000, and um, so uh, my first two dogs were from the Fidelco Guide Dog Foundation, Uh and then uh, Willow is from the Seeing Eye.
0: That's great. Well, thank you so much, Penny. We appreciate it. It's great to put a name and a voice to GDUI, um, and I hope that all of our listeners check out GDUI. I know I'm a proud member um, as a guide dog user. It's a great affiliate to get Involved with, and I know GDUI has done a great job of publicizing this NPRM. That we are uh, ACB is uh, putting out comments ourselves as a national office, but we encourage all members of ACB or non members of ACB um, anybody who has a stake in the game to put out comments because it's a really important topic.
1: Yeah, we agree, we think it's really important. I was really Uh, amazed when we were at the legislative seminar a couple weeks ago and the DOT was there and they told us that they had already received 10,000 comments uh-huh. on and it was it was usual to receive, I think, under a 1000 at that point yeah. in time.
2: And you know why? Because
1: together. most, most of those commenters are, are I, I, I don't know this for sure, but my speculation is that many of those comments are coming from people with emotional support dogs. Mm-hmm. And we really need to make our case that we don't want to fly with dogs that are out of control. Um, and the only way to make our case is to comment. And I'm so grateful that ACB is making it easy for people to post comments, because the website is not very easy to use. And our comments are on our website. If, you can certainly use those as guidance when you post your own. and um, And it's important when you post comments, if you're a guide dog user yourself, to say that and to make the comments you post in your own words. But you can certainly use ours or ACBs for guidance. And our website is easy. It's www.guidedogusersinc.org. Or you could just write www.gdui.org, And right there on the front page are our comments. So we hope you'll take a look and uh, use them as a reference when you write your own.
0: That's perfect, thank you, Penny. Well, it's been great to talk to you and everybody uh, stay, uh, keep, uh, keep it in your chair and we will be right back with another Guide Dog user. It's great to hear from all kinds of Guide Dog users, but thank you, Penny. And again, everybody check out GGUI, it's a great affiliate. It's been a hard Hey everybody, um, we are back for the next portion of our podcast today. I'm really excited to introduce our next speaker, someone who has a great involvement in history in the guide dog world. Um, we are joined by Becky Davidson. Becky, do you want to introduce yourself to everybody?
2: Well, hello everybody. I'm Becky and I'm a manager of consumer outreach and graduate support at Guiding Eyes for the Blind. And I've been a guide dog user since 1995. I'm on dog number four, uh, a yellow lab named Ballad. Mm. And uh, she actually came to mid-year. That was her second major conference. I took her to the national convention two weeks after we graduated. <laughs> and we both both survived. It was awesome.
0: That's impressive. I actually brought my most recent dog to uh, the mm-hmm. national convention, not quite two weeks, but something like two months after we, we got together.
2: So I definitely understand the feeling. Well, it was kind of helpful because the person who had been my class supervisor in that class in June was also there representing Guiding Eyes. So um, I had plenty of help had I needed it.
0: Oh, that's perfect. Um, yeah,
2: it worked out fine. That's probably the only reason they let me do it.
0: <laughs> How long have you had your position through Guiding Eyes? Um,
2: it'll be 21 years in June.
0: Oh, that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't know if most of our listeners know, but our executive director, Eric Bridges, um, has received all his dogs through Guiding Eyes. So we have a fun connection there as well.
2: We have a great connection
0: there. Great. Um, so... For our listeners, um, we wanted to talk, um, as we talked a little bit at the beginning, but talking about it again, we wanted to talk to Becky because this new Notice of Proposed Rulemaking, or NPRM, as I'll say for short, um, was brought up earlier this um, winter in the beginning of 2020 by the Department of Transportation to talk about service animals on airlines, something that those of us who are guide dog users or even just those of us in the blind community are well familiar with um, because we've all seen the headlines on newspapers about the peacock on planes as an emotional support animal and all kinds of funny things that make us laugh. But for those of us who use guide dogs or service animals, we know that it does present a lot of questions and obstacles and headaches. So Department of Transportation has put out this NPRM to propose some new regulations to uh, potentially alter what the regulations are right now. Some might be good, some might be bad, all kinds of opinions out there. So with Becky and her great experience, um, both as her rep for Guiding Eyes and as just a guide dog user herself, we thought that Becky would be a great person to talk to. Um, So are you up for some questions, Becky? I sure am. Awesome. Um, So one of the new things that's been proposed under the, um, the notice to proposed rulemaking is that uh the definition of what a service animal is would be altered a little bit so i'm sure most of our listeners know that under the americans with disabilities act a service animal there there's service animals are one thing um, it's uh animal performed to perform specific tasks for a person with disability so doj um, promulgated these regulations well contrasting under the Air Carriers Access Act, they haven't adopted the same regulations. So they have three categories currently. They have service animals, psychiatric support animals and emotional support animals. So it's a little overwhelming, has made a lot of us scratch our heads. So one of the new rules that's been potentially um, proposed under this NPRM is that we would better align the definition of service animal with the Department of Reg- uh, Department of Justice regulations under the ADA. Um, so can you talk a little bit about that, Becky? What are your thoughts? Do you think it's a good idea, a bad idea, neutral? Can you just kind of flag out
2: that topic a little bit? Well, sure. I think this is something that many of us have been hoping for uh, for quite a while. Um, Among other things, I've been involved with um, Assistance Dogs International and what was once the Coalition of Assistance Dog Organizations. In making these definitions uh, originally clear, um, when the ADA re- redid the definition several years ago uh-huh. um, and our concern was validated by what we saw happening on the airlines especially over the last maybe five or six years um, and I think it's really important that that it be clear what a service dog is or is not and yes. so I think it's a really uh, I think it's a very um, very good idea um, to make that Clear. I think that justification probably had to do with, you know, flying being stressful. So trying to make it easier for people flying to get the support they need. So, okay, we'll allow emotional support animals. And I don't know that anybody foresaw what actually ended up happening. Yeah, Um, most definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's happened in the housing realms as well. But, you know, a lot of the time, a lot of those animals are emotional support animals are allowed in housing but still don't have public access but the airlines that's kind of a unique situation but I don't think it justifies um, what's actually happened with the support pigs and peacocks and snakes and assorted other animals and sometimes you don't know whether to laugh or cry
1: um, when you hear (laughs) these stories
2: Um, so you know Yes, I think this is an important step, and and uh, I I've seen in many of the comments that have been submitted that that most people generally agree that this is an important step.
0: Great, yeah, it's really interesting because just to kind of um, expand on that, how the definition of service animals is so different between the Americans with Disabilities Act and the Air Carriers Access Act and the ACA. AA did come before the Americans with Disabilities Act, so um, that's probably part of it, but it's just so fascinating how two laws that essentially advocate for a lot of the same things can have such contrasting definitions. So it'll be interesting to see if these new regulations might remedy some of those issues.
2: Well, I think it's particularly important that a service animal will be defined as a dog. I, I think mm. there needs to be that kind of, of standard because um, really, when you think about it, what other animal can be specifically trained to do a task or tasks that mitigate an yeah. individual's disability? Snakes, really? Peacocks? I mean, they're pretty and they're loud. Um, <laughs> but, you know, but really what other animals the the exception and it's listed in the ada definition i think it's in this one too is currently working miniature horses which um that presents its own kind of set of issues but we do need to at least acknowledge that those exist as service animals yes Um, whether we particularly approve of it or not um they do they are working and they are acknowledged in the ADA definition. I believe they are in the Air Carrier Access Act definition. Yes. I can't swear to that. Okay. Yes. But yes. but basically limiting it to dogs um, is a really big help. And then, you know, from there we get into the whole aspect of training and, and all of that,
1: uh, yes.
2: which, yeah. you know, is a whole whole other thing. Um, dogs specifically trained, our guide dogs are clearly specifically trained to to do a task to mitigate our disability. And I think what many people find disturbing about this whole issue is that we have been traveling successfully and safely with our guide dogs since we could. Um, And, you know, we are ultimately the ones that are being asked to pay a price for what other people have chosen to do with their ill-trained and ill-behaved dogs claiming them to be emotional support animals. And I think that on an emotional level is disturbing to most of us.
0: I think that's so well put that <clears throat> we are paying the price for the actions of so many other people and it's frustrating because like you said our dogs are so well trained and um, they, they never caused any problems before and suddenly were impacted negatively so it's pretty frustrating. Yeah. So another part of the proposed regulations that are coming out under this NPRM um, talks about documentation, the dreaded word documentation, and what persons who have guide dogs or service animals, um, depending on what definition uh, wins out, um, documentation that we would have to provide. And there's a couple of different documentation um, suggestions under these NPR under the NPRM. But the first one talks about a form that we would be required um, to have from our veterinarian that talks about the health of our dog as well as the behavior of our dog. And it would require us, and I say us because I am a guide dog user myself, so I can put myself in there. That would require us to um, go to a veterinarian beforehand. So before we even um, know we want to take a flight that we'd have to go ahead of time obviously pay a fee because vets aren't free, um, get this form and then have it to present to the airlines. Can you talk a little bit about that and um, what your perspective is and what you're hearing from the blind community?
2: Well, I think it's a disturbing. Um, I think it's an undue hardship for people traveling with legitimate legitimately trained Service animals, service dogs. I'm gonna, I'm gonna quit with the animals because we're talking dogs here. Yeah. so if people no, don't sure. mind, um, nope, one so syllable in th- instead of three. I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I really think it's an undue burden for those of us who travel with service dogs on a regular basis, um, who um, can clearly be observed as traveling with a service dog and. Who are responsible enough to keep our dogs under control and to keep them well cared for and well well groomed and all of those things? Um, the ADA doesn't does not suggest requiring these types of things. So, you know, bringing the definition in to line with the ADA should kind of strengthen our concern about uh, about these documents. But the other thing to think about is. You know, documents could be faked really easily. And yeah. really, what difference is it going to make if somebody wants to come up and show a, a document? Even the the, uh, the proposed, I believe there's a proposed federal form. Yes, you know, if people are getting equipment plan. online, they're going to get this kind of thing online. And it doesn't necessarily, there's not any reason to think that it's necessarily going to prove anything. I think the observable behaviors and those kinds of things um, are... Um, are what's really going to tell the story. Exactly. It goes back, like you
0: said, to the definition of a service dog under the ADA. And under the ADA regulations, you're allowed to ask, is that a service animal and what tasks does it perform? And if we align that definition again, like you said, our dog is going to model, look, it's performing a task, it's well-behaved, and it's clearly doing something for its handler.
2: So. And I, I may or may not. I mean, I've had people, not necessarily to me because my eyes are fairly clearly not working well. Um, but, you know, there are people who say, well, you don't act blind or you don't look <sighs> blind, but I don't have to prove that I have a disability. Sometimes my response is, well, do you want to give me your car keys? Um, and they usually <laughs> don't. They usually don't. So, um, you know, so, you know, you hear all kinds of things, but, but really, um, I think the behavior issue is, is an important one. Now there are a, a number of people who are willing to, and I actually put myself in this category. If, if, it, um, if I'm having to show my state-issued photo ID in order to be allowed to travel, okay, I'm identifying myself. I'll show my guide dog school ID with the picture of me and my dog on it um, if I have to. I don't know that we should be required to do that, and that that is a very emotional issue for a lot of people. The yeah. requirement, but when you think about how much ID and how much how often we have to show ID for one reason or another, um, I don't think it would be an undue hardship for people who have those IDs from their programs that that can show them. However, there are plenty of people who who own or train their dogs and do yeah. it successfully. And those people won't be included in that. So it becomes a really tricky issue to try to figure out what we can do to help the airlines um, without our rights being directly impacted. Yeah. Um, And and that's a discussion that's probably going to be an ongoing discussion. But I don't think that these types of forms, even uh, signing an attestation saying that, yeah, my dog's well-behaved and you know, will be will be well-behaved on the plane. Even even signing that is probably not really going to help much because if you're trying to get your dog on and they're asking you to sign, you're going to sign it. Yeah, of course. So, you know, so even those kinds of things. Um, but I also do realize that the airlines are in a tough spot because of what's been happening. The safety of crews and other passengers has, has been compromised, including our own. Yeah. Um, As guide dog handlers and our dogs get can be distracted by these these dogs. And, you know, whether it's a person who just wants to get their pet from point A to point B um, free, um, you know, or or whatever, um, they're they're continuing to do that. Um, It's unfortunate that it has become easy for them to, to try to get away with that. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I think eliminating emotional support dogs from the definition of of a service dog is, um, can be really helpful, because that's going to require a whole different set of of documentation, but it comes back to, if this is a service dog, by definition, I should not have to go through a bazillion extra steps to to travel on the plane with my dog. That's feels like discrimination against me as someone who's blind and chooses to travel with a guide dog.
0: Exactly. I really liked that you use the term undue burden or undue hardship uh, because I think that's such a good example of how Mm -hmm. if you have to jump through a million hoops to be able to get on a plane because you are a guide dog user, that does become an undue burden. Um, One of the examples that I've used as we've talked about this is if I have to get a vet to fill out this form before I go on a plane, and I have my uh, appointment with my vet scheduled from a week from now, and heaven forbid, tomorrow there's a family emergency and I have to get on a plane, well, what am I supposed to do, just leave my guide dog at home, I'm not going to do that. Um, so it definitely pr- pr- um, creates a, a whole kind of new situation of undue burden that we, we would experience.
2: It really does, and I I think that's a a major concern. It limits our ability to travel freely just like the general public can travel freely.
0: Exactly. Um, So you kind of started alluding to it, but um, one of the other, Um, proposed rules has to do with the the attestation form. So I would fill out a form that says, and again, like you talked about before, uh, the the NPRM does say that these forms would not be airline specific. They would come directly from the Department of Transportation, um, hoping to streamline things as their thought process. Um, But it says that these forms would come from Department of Transportation. And the second form would say, um, I attest that my animal is well behaved blah 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 et cetera. Um, So you talked about that a little bit, but can you, you know, expand on what your feelings are and opinions on that kind of form and how, how effective would it be? Is it necessary? Is it unduly um, inappropriate? I think it,
2: I think it'd be ineffective. Um. If you're willing to fake your dog as a service dog, you're gonna be willing to sign a form that says your dog's well-behaved and healthy. Fair enough, yeah. Um, I mean, really, that's what it comes down to. Um, Yeah, my dog is well-behaved and healthy. We all recognize that occasionally accidents happen. You know, they're still dogs, and we do our very best to make sure they don't happen. Um, But, and it's very rare when they do, especially now that there are relief areas within the security area in most airports or there should be yeah um, which is another issue um but we're getting there um you know but but signing that form you know if i'm standing at the check-in desk and they say will you sign this form um i probably would do it to get myself on the plane yeah Um, but but to do it ahead of time i think is is you know, that just makes it less effective anyway, because at least if I'm standing there having to sign this form and they see me with my little signature guide, because I need that, sign the form, and yep. my dog in harness sitting beside me, it should be pretty clear. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I, I kind of balk at the idea, but I think it's it, it if it's a form that I'm just going to sign when I'm checking in, if I have to live with it, I can. It's a lot better than having to get a form from my vet and maybe not be able to travel and and all of that kind of thing.
0: Well, I've personally, as somebody with a legal education and my background, I always wonder, you know, if you find this sign this attestation form, are they gonna throw it back in your face if heaven forbid your poor sick animal has an accident?
2: Or I'm just well, yeah, yeah, with that, that's a concern. That's a concern. Yeah, but you know, you don't have to sign one if you take your Toddler on the plane and your toddler throws up, you know, and people bringing you know sick kids on the plane because they have to uh, to to travel, you know. I mean, people make messes too. It's true. Sometimes a lot worse than dogs. Worse than
0: yep. I, I, as an aside, it's not airplanes, but I always joke about that when I take an Uber or a Lyft, you know, and the driver says, your dog's going to get my car dirty. And I go, did you pick up a drunk passenger at the bar last night? Like, who's yeah, going to really. be more messy? But... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Great. Well, is there anything else you feel is necessary for us to touch upon as we talk about this issue, Becky? About the forms? The um, forms, the... Uh, definition, just any of these issues that fall under the NPRM.
2: Okay, the other one, and and, and I don't know, maybe you were going to ask about this, was the checking in an hour earlier than yes, everybody else. Yes, please talk about that, yep. Um, that is ridiculous. Um, I mean, you're asking somebody to go to the airport, find the person that you're supposed to check in with who may or may not be around, Um, I I think that's different. It's going to be difficult for the airlines. It's difficult for us. I think it's another undue burden and it doesn't, it doesn't accomplish anything. Um, that person with the emotional support animal, if they're told they have to do that, or who's, who's saying their dog's a service animal. Um, but it isn't, if that person has to do that, they're going to go do it too. And it's not going to change anything. I, I think you know, I think if you're looking at how you can deal with these kinds of things, you have to look at things that could be effective and and you know people are people who are determined are going to be determined one way or another and i I think that it really creates an undue burden both for the for us as travelers, especially for us as travelers, but also probably for the airlines and the personnel that have to be available. And some of these big airports, I mean, you could have to go to Terminal 3 or 4 at O'Hare and have to go back way back to the other end of the airport to actually get on your plane. Yeah, um, and, and then you're asking for assistance from the airport because, you know, that's a huge airport. I personally, even with Ira, wouldn't attempt a huge distance like that by myself. Um, you know, so I think I think it's kind of a, I feel it's kind of a ridiculous requirement. I don't think it will affect anything directly
0: yeah yeah thank you for bringing that up that's a really uh, a really good one to bring up and I agree you know I'm we already have to technically be there an hour early when you fly so it does that be two hours early and you know where and when well, and, when. and yeah. we
2: often aren't able to check in outside at curbside anyway because of the dog yep. and I actually when I came to DC for midyear I tried to check in to my flight on my you know online. And they said, you have a pet, so you have to check in in person. And I rarely have an assigned seat. So, um, usually because I'm flying on those little tin cans, but, um, you know, but, you know, they're already kind of setting us aside. Um, in you know, as far as traveling with a service dog, they're already kind of setting us apart um to that extent, at least at some airports. They know me here in Charlotte, so I pretty much just go right through. But um and I'm also I also paid for TSA pre-check, which is, you know, if you can afford it, that's a really good idea. Yeah. Um you know, so I mean there are some things that you can do to to help you get through. Um but adding that additional step just really doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, I agree.
0: Great. Well, thank you so much, Becky. This has been really helpful, and it's great to hear somebody both with a professional and personal background as a guide dog user. So, we really appreciate all your thoughts.
2: Well, thanks, and I really appreciate ACB's efforts and GDUI's efforts on this on behalf of, of all of us. Um, I know NFB just uh, released their comments as well, and they're pretty much similar to what we've been talking about. So, you know, there's discussion out there, but I would strongly urge anybody who feels even slightly strongly about this, this issue to go in and write your comments. There's help available from ACB if you have trouble submitting them. Um, there's all kinds of uh, information out there about how you can phrase your comments and what you need to have and not have. Um, and it sounds a little bit daunting, but it really isn't. You just write, write your heartfelt thoughts and send them in.
0: You just said exactly what I was going to say, so thank you. We here at ACB in the National Office would love to help you. Um, If you don't know how to say it or what to say, Clark and I will help you. If you need help submitting them, do not let that be a hindrance to submitting them. We can submit them for you. You can send them to advocacy at acb.org. It's too important. So please get your comments out. Um, They are due um, early April. So you still have about a month to submit them. So please do that. And again, if you have any issues, just uh, reach out to us and we will help you. Um, and as always, thanks for listening to ACB Advocacy Update. If you have any other advocacy needs, please reach out to us at advocacyacb.org. At and we look forward to having you in our next episode. Thanks, everybody.